0: I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, your host for Cross Defense, and I'd like to thank you for downloading this podcast. If you enjoy Cross Defense and the curious Christian conversations that we have here, you can find a lot more theology like it at my website, wolfmuller.co. That's wolfmuelle rco You'll see the latest YouTube videos, blog posts, sermons, and other stuff like that. And when you're there, don't forget to sign up for Wednesday WhatNot, a weekly free email with loaded with tons of theological curiosities. Thanks again for downloading the podcast. Enjoy the show.
1: Hey, welcome to Cross the Fence.
0: How you doing? I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, pastor of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Your host for the next hour here on KFUO Cross Defense, t- uh, having cr- curious Christian conversation, talking about the things that uh, you're thinking about, the things that the Bible says, and and trying to find the intersection of the Lord's wisdom and our everyday life. We want to talk today about a couple of different things. I'm gonna I'm gonna open up the show with a quick conversation about the three estates. Ah, this is so this is so important. The three estates. In fact, I'd, I. Sometimes I just want to write articles for every major newspaper, every major magazine, and it, the, the, the title of the article would be There Are Three Estates, and then the, the, the article would say that's all. I mean, this is so just such a huge idea that I think will make so many pieces of the puzzle of our lives fall together, fall into place. That's what we're going to talk about the first bit. And then we're going to have to pa- Pastor Sean Denzer come on. He sent me a note. What he wants to talk about is is uh, is ha- how to have a Christian death, not just as an individual, but also as a congregate, how, co- how Christian congregations can die a Christian death. That'll be curious. Uh, so we'll see, have to see what he has to say. But first, the three estates. And by the way, I would encourage you, if you're interested in this, you could just search three estates and put my last name in there, Wolfmuller, W-O-L-F-M-U-E-L-L-E-R. And a couple of things, in fact, a bunch of stuff will come up, some videos and um, some YouTube videos and some and some articles. And one of the best places to look for that is an article called Thinking Like a Lutheran, uh, a quotation drop post. It's on the website, wolfmuller.co, which just a ton of Luther quotes about the three estates. Well, what? So, for, OK, first. What are the three estates and why they're important? The three estates are, number one, church, number two, family, and number three, the state or the city. And the, these are the three um, governments or the three uh, organizations, the three um, institutions that the Lord has built in to human order, to human society. And they, they were... they they're established by God and because they're established by God they cannot be overthrown but that's maybe jumping ahead of ourselves but let me tell you why they're important now i don't know i would love to hear from you guys if this is the if this is the same for you as it is for me if if this if this experience that i'm going to tell you about if if you share this but it seems to me like my whole life i mean all through as soon as as soon as i started thinking reflectively about things so when when did that start like 20 minutes ago maybe but i mean back in high school and back in college it i al- i always felt uncomfortable in the world like there was just stuff that didn't make sense i'd never felt ever felt settled even if I I, you know I didn't it's not like we moved around a lot we moved once when I was growing up from Albuquerque to New New Mexico or from uh, Texas to New Mexico there in Albuquerque but we moved houses a couple of times it's so it wasn't an unsettled feeling like being unsettled in a place but it's more like an unsettled feeling of the mind or an unsettled feeling of the conscience I was reading and studying the stuff I was supposed to read and I was supposed to study going to school. Uh I, I all the all the literature stuff and all the science stuff and I was learning all those sorts of things. I was going to church and I was learning the Bible studies at church, but it always felt like there was something not something unsettled. And I, I couldn't I, – I had a hard time putting my finger on it, but it, it seemed to me like, – I remember one time uh, we went to an amusement park. Our, our youth group actually went to this amusement park, and we were there all day. So it, like, it closed at like midnight, and basically everyone left at like 9.30. So we spent from 9.30 until midnight just going over and over on this roller coaster that had like three loops on it, and there was no line. You know, so every once in a while, you could, this can happen. And we, so I, I, we must have gone on this loop-de-loop roller coaster. A dozen times, 15, 20 fifteen, twenty times. And I remember that that whole night I felt like I was going on loop-de-loops. <laughs> you know, that just kind of your equilibrium is off. Or or I remember another time that we were out on a boat. We went out um to do some snorkeling, and we were out on the, it is pretty choppy going out, and then we got and we were on the boat all day, and then we we came back into the shore and and you you you're, you got your sea legs, so finally you got used to the boat. And then you hit the shore, and it feels like the, it feels like the ground is moving on the shore, back and back and forth. It's like, and it seems so. It seems to me like that's how I was in my own mind, like, like my mind was floating around, unanchored, untethered, just out in the ocean, tossed to and and fro. And I think the reason now, looking back on it, why, when, when I was growing up, why I had this sensation of never, never being tethered or grounded is because I did not know, probably, I, I was probably taught, but I just didn't know, I did not know the three estates. I did not have any sense that God had, in fact, established some orders in the world, some, uh, some shape of the way that the world is, that, and, and that God had put it in place so that it can't be moved, so that, it would, it, that, that, they, that they just stay firm. And everything in, in my own mind and my own thinking, everything was movement. In fact, it's one of the I think it's one of the bad offsprings of evolutionary thinking is that everything is in flux. Nothing is sure. Everything is changing. We're just part of a, a big movement one way or another. You you hear this all the time where people talk about being on the wrong side of history as if everything is changing, and it's just not true. Now that's that's one of the great comforting, hopeful messages about the three estates is that not everything is changing in fact there's three things that will not change until the last day and that is that there's a family and there's a church and there's a state there's a human organization there's a human governance there's a a city as Luther calls it now rage as he will the devil cannot overthrow these three estates now, just think about that, that that on the last day there will be Christians on the last day there will be human families on the last day there will be some sort of human government that the the devil will rage against them, but those three things will stand because they are established by God so let 's talk about them in turn and, t- and say a few brief words about the three uh, different estates the the first and we want to talk about maybe a couple of things we want to talk about one. Uh, where they come from, in other words, when were they instituted, number two, why uh, they were instituted, and number three, how we live in them. Let me give you a little bit of a historical uh, introduction to this, if we could. Uh, the, the three estates, if you look up, if you just go to Google and you Google three estates, you'll find a bunch of stuff about the French Revolution because the, the people like to note that before the French Revolution, the, the society was governed like it was in the Middle Ages, and it had the three estates of those who pray, those who fight, and those who work those who pray that's the monks and the priests those who fight that's the kings and the soldiers those who work that's the peasants and civilization was divided up into those three estates and that's probably about how it was at the time of Martin Luther in Germany those who pray those who fight those who work and and one of the things that the Catholic Church has done is said if you want to be part of the holy estate those who pray you have to leave all the other states aside you can't be part of the family or part of the state you can't be part of commerce and working if you're going to be a, a monk in fact that's what the vows to become a monk where you took a vow of poverty, so you're not part of those who work, and you take a vow of chastity, so you're not part of the family. One of the most genius, I think perhaps often overlooked, but genius parts of Luther's theology is he was able to recognize that each person, you, you weren't in just one of the three estates, but in fact every single person was in all three estates. That the estates weren't just about our work or our vocations, but the the estates are something much bigger than that. They're established by God. So every single one of us is in a family. Every single one of us ought to be in the church. And every single one of us is in a a state or a city. We are neighbors to one another. And so we live in all three of these estates, and all three of these estates ask different things of us. Now, what they ask of us has to do with why God invented them, and we want to rejoice in the fact that two estates... Maybe three, but at least two estates were created by God in the garden before the fall into sin. The estate of the family, when God put Adam to sleep and he pulled a rib out of his side and he fashioned the rib into Eve and he brought Eve to Adam and said, look here. And Adam said, whoa, man. (laughs) So you get that joke, woman. And they were married. The two shall become one flesh. A man shall leave his father and his mother, be joined to his wife. Adam had to say, when God said that, Adam had to say, what's a father and a mother? Which shows that marriage and parenthood are bound up together. In God's ordering of things, to be a husband is to be a father, and to be a wife is to be a mother. Even if children haven't come yet, or maybe they never will, they are the same office. And that's the institution of family instituted by God in the garden. It's one of the most beautiful parts of the marriage liturgy. So when the pastor there is ble- after he pronounces them husband and wife and the pastors, they're blessing him and says, May God give you the blessing of Adam and Eve in the garden. Oh, that's just fantastic. So that's the institution of the family. The institution of the church also happened in the garden, and it happened when God planted the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and he said, Don't eat from it. Now, this is maybe a little bit more to get into here, but very briefly, God always wants to be worshipped by faith, and if God is... If we're worshiping God by faith, then we have to be believing something that we can't see. That's why now we believe the resurrection and the forgiveness of sins. We can't see it, but we believe it. That's how we worship God by faith. Now, God can't promise life and forgiveness to Adam and Eve because there's no death and there's no sin. So, in fact, the promise in the garden has to be a promise of what they can't see, death. If you, on the day that you eat of it, dying you will die, God says to Adam, and Adam preaches to Eve, so that Adam and Eve are supposed to go to that tree of the knowledge of garden, of the the knowledge of good and evil, and they're supposed to worship the Lord by faith there, by believing the threat, the promise of death, and not eating. So there God has established the church. Now, the church looks different on the other side of the fall, just like the family looks different on the other side of the fall. They have different purposes. But the purpose of the family, the human family, is to bring forth and support physical life. The purpose of the the church family, of the institution of the church, is to bring forth and support eternal life. And then there's the third estate, which is the state, the city, the government, the stuff we're hearing about constantly because it's this election cycle, and the state, and, and this is maybe an important thing to note, the state now is the last of the instituted estates, and it is the least important, at least in God's eyes. And if you're if you're watching the news or you're reading the newspaper, it seems to us like the state is the most important. And I think there's a bit of like a Napoleon complex with the state. It likes to think that it is much more important than it actually is. But it's not. In fact, if things are going good at church and good at home, then the way things go in the state matter much much less than these other two estates. And the estate of the of the uh, of the government, the estate of the state, was established by God after the fall into sin. At least in the form that we know it now, established after the fall into the sin its authority is the sword which is the authority to bring death so that while the family is there to give earthly life and the church is there to give eternal life the state is there to give death in the smallest possible portion so that the goal or the purpose of the state is to destroy those who would destroy others This is why the chief thing for the estate is the police and the army. That's the sword pointed in and the sword pointed out. It's to keep order so that people can live. The state, and it's good for us to remember that the state can't give life. It can only, it can only stop the people who want to take life. That's at least what it should do. That's why it was instituted by God. That's why he's given the sword to be wielded among men so that the Lord can bring about little deaths to prevent bigger deaths. Now, what's an example of that is waging war, for example. When you go to war, you're you're pulling the sword of the state out of the sheath, and you're bringing violence to another nation, because that nation wants to bring even more violence and death to you. So you bring a little bit of death to prevent the bigger death. Or say there's some criminal who's taking away who's taking who's assaulting life or he's assaulting property he's a, he's assaulting chastity or whatever so you bring the sword to bear you take him to court you put him in jail so that you give him a little death to present, prevent the bigger death that he wants to that he wants to cause see that's the that's the goal of the state we should remember we should just keep it in mind as we're voting and by the way the christian always votes with the 10 commandments in their mind how can i love my neighbor by this vote how can i support the institutions that god has established by the Ten Commandments Uh, we should always keep this in mind that the state can only bring forth a little bit of death that's why we always in some ways want to limit the role of the government because we know that the the bigger the government the, the bigger the death in in one way or another so we have the three estates God's God's ordering of the world Now, we know this, and here's a couple of applications to kind of wrap this thing up. We know that the devil always attacks the works of God, so the devil's always attacking all three estates. We see him attacking the church by false doctrine and whatever. We see him attacking the family by trying to tear family apart, redefine family, putting husband and wife, setting them against each other and all this sort of stuff. And we see him attacking the state, trying to put tyrants in office and all this sort of stuff so that the state doesn't do its job, but, you know, whatever. But we know, and this is the great thing to consider, we know that these estates established by God can't be overthrown. They will stand because they are instituted by God. Marriage will stand. It doesn't matter if the state wants to redefine marriage. At the end of the world, when Jesus comes back, there will be marriage. Now, A lot of people might be destroyed and the devil's banging his head against the walls of the, the state, the church, and the family. But we rejoice to be in them and to be safe. In fact, And we can finish with this idea. Luther says that these three estates are like three walls that protect our conscience. (laughs) And when we stand and we know our place in the church and the family and the state, then we stand with a bit of, we stand with our feet on solid ground. We come off the roller coaster of, of the movements and the idea that things are always changing, and we stand on the solid ground of those things that the Lord has instituted. So maybe you can join me, I mean, first, to read some of these Luther quotes on the three estates, but then join me in in standing uh, around in the midst of all of these conversations and saying to the people around you, hey, there's three estates, and God has established them, and he's put you in them so that you know your place, and you can rejoice that the Lord uses your family to give life, your church to give life eternal, and the state to save life. God be praised for these estates. You're listening to Cross Defense. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmiller. We're going to go to the break and come right back with Pastor Sean Denzer, like 17 churches in North Dakota, I can never remember. And he's going to talk to us about dying a Christian death as individuals and maybe even as churches as well. I'm going to get his thoughts on the three estates when we get back, so stay tuned. We'll be right back.
1: Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Washington, Missouri is hosting their 76th Annual Pork Sausage Dinner. That's this Sunday, November 4th from 11 until 6. On the menu is Emmanuel's famous pork sausage, homemade
0: applesauce, sauerkraut, green beans, and mashed potatoes. The cost? $12 for adults. Why not drive on out to beautiful Washington, Missouri, sit down at their table, and enjoy a great time of
1: fellowship? Again, it's the Annual Pork Sausage Dinner this coming up Sunday at Emmanuel Lutheran Church, Washington.
2: Worldwide KFUO Radio salutes our day sponsors on this Monday, October 29th, 2018. Today's day sponsors are Emil and Cindy Klein. Today's day sponsors have made a contribution to Worldwide KFUO Radio and thanksgiving to the Lord for the blessing of 22 years of marriage. Once again, we say thank you to Emil and Cindy Klein of Dickinson, North Dakota. Today's Worldwide KFUO Day Sponsors.
0: The story of Worldwide KFUO is a tale of technology. Radio was new in 1924 when KFUO was born
2: to serve Christ the Savior.
0: Now, KFUO is still finding new broadcast technologies so we can spread the gospel to the world via the web, smartphones, tablets, and new intelligent speaker devices. And when the next big thing is unveiled, we'll be there too. Broadcasting the good news at the forefront of technology, we are Worldwide KFUO. This week on The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah. How
2: is Reformation celebrated around the world? We'll hear from the Reverend Matt Heisey and Lutheran Heritage Foundation about global traditions. We'll also talk about how we observe All Saints Day with the Reverend Anthony Oliphant and learn some fresh fall flavors with registered Dietitian Sarah Correnti.
0: We'll meet the KFUO Church of the Week. What are green and gold days at Concordia Seminary? And Dr. Beverly Yonke addresses mental health and pastoral ministry.
2: The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah weekdays at 9 a.m. on KFUO. Underwritten by Concordia University, Wisconsin.
0: Like Pavlov's dog, when that music comes on, I start hosting the show. I'm your host, Pastor Brian. You're listening to Cross Defense on KFUO, Monday afternoon. Uh, pastor Brian Wolfmuller, Ho- pastor of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Whenever you're hanging around Aurora, Colorado, drop in. Say hi. It'll be good to see you. Uh, Sunday morning or whenever. Except for Monday, 1 to 2 o'clock Mountain Time, I'll be hosting the show. I'll be busy. Uh, I got Pastor Denzer on the line. Hey, Pastor Denzer, how are you?
1: Doing well. How are you?
0: Good. How, you got like 520 churches. How many? You got a
1: i've got two that are mine uh... great bend in uh... trinity in great bend and peace in barney in the southeast corner uh... i'm also circuit visitor and filling in vacancy at uh... uh... emmanuel hankinson and saint john in belford so uh... yeah we're busy
0: why why not have four churches No, why not? I, re- I remember one time I the uh... Uh, Father Angel, he's a priest down the street. He was ordained just a couple of weeks before me, and he said, Brian, I don't know how you do it, being married and having a church. It's like having two wives. And I said, no, no, Father Angel, it's more like having 250 extra children is what the... Which
1: he thought was funny. But.
0: Hey, uh, I was talking about the three estates. Did you hear any of that stuff?
1: I did. I was listening. It was great. What do you Thanks think? Thanks about... for mentioning the French Revolution too. I think that uh, I never realized that because I grew up in the sheltered Lutheran way of talking about it. But it's much more known there, and it overshadows it. And everyone's like, "Well, obviously that failed, so forget about that idea," right? I, I do
0: think this is one of the genius of Luther's thoughts. He was able. I mean, we always talk about when we talk about Luther's political thought, we talk about the two kingdoms you know yeah, right you hand can't left hand. have
1: that without these three estates I think you're right
0: yeah what did so what fill in the blanks what it what else do you think is important about these three estates I,
1: uh, I don't know I think your your summary is very good and the insight that that really especially today all all of us live in all three of these realms if you're a voter you're, you're part of the ruling estate I mean and all of us have households and part of the economy uh, and uh, and hopefully we're all Christians as well
0: yeah
1: um, we we got to be careful i see this trying to push the pastors back into their own estate sometimes on the part of the laity particularly when it comes to prayers i don't know about you but uh in my churches you know they almost can't start the funeral luncheon until the pastor gets back because you got to start with the table prayer and nobody can pray but the pastor uh and the funny thing about that is that's not really true at all uh in fact prayer is the thing that is the proper uh, function and proper activity of all Christians. Uh, In the New Testament, all Christians are priests. What do priests do? They offer sacrifices and they pray. Uh, The sacrifices are our our bodies, our lives. We're living sacrifices, as Romans 12 12 says, and prayer, right? Everything is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. So yes, if the pastor lead the prayer in the same way that the father usually leads the prayer at the table. But uh, when the father's not there, you know, oldest son takes over, maybe mom takes over. Uh, you know, all Christians do this part. So, yeah, you can't leave that to the pastor to do.
0: It's a common thing where, especially in conservative thought, that every man's home is his castle, which I think is really quite beautiful, but but the three estates teach us also that every home is a chapel. And I think, mm-hmm. now, how, how about this idea? You know, um we know that luther left the monastery so he left the augustinian monastery and what it means to be a monk is you have this you have ch- poverty chastity and obedience so poverty you can't own anything chastity you can't get married obedience um means that you're you're obedient to the order so every monastic community had an order of prayer you got to pray these psalms in this order you got to have these seven times of prayer and that's the that's the obedience well luther When Luther writes the catechism, this is the assertion I want you to challenge me on. When Luther writes the catechism, he's really writing a rule or an order for the home. So there's morning prayer, there's evening prayer, there's meal prayers, and Luther's saying, hey, you're not going to go and seclude yourself from the family by becoming a monk. You're going to live in the home, but the home is also a monastery or a chapel. The home is also a place of prayer, So, so everyone in the family is also participating in this.
1: Absolutely, he is. He even talks about that in the uh, Table of Duties, right? He even says these are the the holy orders. uh, And it's not monks, it's not uh, Benedictines and Augustinians, it's, right, father and mother, uh, ruler, citizen, preacher, hearer, uh, slave, worker, right? All these things. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, no, you're right. And uh, and Luther did a wonderful thing in almost returning a, a taste of the daily offices back to the congregation, which, in my understanding, in terms of history and development, I think they began in the cathedrals, they began in the churches for everyone, and only later kind of turned into these monks do these, do this in our place.
0: Yeah, yeah. So like matins and vespers and all these other compline and all these other orders, they would have been, they would have belonged to the congregation. And now the monks say, no, no, these belong to us. And Luther says, no, they, be- they belong to everybody. There's something about that in the Reformation too, with the Lord's Supper, because the priest had said, hey, the blood that belongs to us. They had considered the priesthood to be those who pray. That's who the church was, and everyone else was distinct. And and the Reformation says, no, all these things belong to all of us. They be- they they are they're common to the church, the body, and the blood. Uh, the office of prayer and and hearing the Lord's even hearing the Lord's word. If if you if you have it sort of trapped in Latin, then the hearing of the word belongs only to the to those who are trained in it. But the the Lutherans had to say no. The Lord's the hearing of the Lord's word belongs to all the all the Lord's people. Hmm. Hey, you want to talk about what do you, you want to talk about? Dying like a Christian as a Christian congregation, right?
1: that's kind of what I've been thinking about lately so um, so the background on this is yeah I've got two or four or who knows how many at this point little rural congregations and uh, you know the school districts are the same way they're they're piling together for sports uh, they're smaller the class sizes are smaller decline is is on people's minds and our churches are no different you know they're worried about we have more old people than young people uh, they're worried about decline they're worried about survival I, right now, am deliberating on a divine call to St. Mark's Lutheran Church in Minot, North Dakota. Minot is a growing town. Minot is kinda close to the oil region. The oil kinda busted, but it's starting to pick up again. Uh, It's a suburban, upper-middle class kinda place, Uh, and this congregation, I, I don't think I'm saying too much to say I think they're worried about decline, and they're worried about survival. They're worried about the exact same things my little rural parishes are are worried about, mm. and they share the same thing. You know, they all have the institutional memory of man. Fifty years ago, there were a hundred kids in Sunday school. Isn't that amazing? You know, now there's only twelve or twenty or whatever it is, uh, and it's and they're worried about this. They're they're struggling with it. Death is just you know they never mention that they never say our church is dying unless they get really worked up but it 's it 's just behind all the words they say
0: hmm there, there's a I, man there's no, there 's a lot to talk about there. I know you want to push towards how do we think about that is it, because there 's a hmm there there's a way that even as individuals we look at death and death might be coming but we try to put it off you know by wearing too much makeup or whatever you know we have all these things to kind of put off death and and i suppose when things get really bad you start going to the quack doctors and uh and getting all the weird prescriptions just to, to and that we can do that as a church also but but maybe before we push towards that i i want to get your thoughts on Number one, do you think that things are different now than they used to be uh, 50 years ago? Or do you think that there's some nostalgia that, that shapes our memory? Or is it a combination of
1: both? Well, yes. How about yes? I think all of it. Um, I, I'm hesitant to say that things are the same as they always were because Peter kind of tells us, uh, that's the bad guys who think, oh yeah, everything's going on like it always was, right? Uh, on the other hand, it, it's a truism that I think does ring true that every generation has thought this is, this has to be the end. It can't get really worse than this, can it? Oh, my goodness. Uh, and yet it, life goes on and, and pretty soon the next generation is able to say, oh, we're in the end times, right? <laughs> uh, uh, i don't know if it's worse uh i don't know if things are are changing faster than they ever have before uh but everybody gets really depressed about this and there's you said it nostalgia right nostalgia is a liar i think i don 't uh, you know I just watched The Good Pumpkin Charlie Brown because I remember watching that as a kid, and uh, i 'm not sure it 's as good as it was in my memory <laughs> uh, <laughs> i don 't know if trick or treating is worse or or different or harder if the candy bars really were that much bigger, I think I was just that much smaller, so a fun size looked pretty huge back then <laughs> and uh and everything else no one can ever reclaim Christmas as they want as they had it in their childhood. Oh, yeah right cuz it wasn't even that way then right why was Christmas so great when I was a child I didn't know about anybody's drinking problems I didn't know about half these things that were bothering and destroying my family as they're destroying your family listener as we all start to learn when we get older you know I wasn't worried about nuclear war but I probably should have been right um <laughs> uh, or, or maybe I shouldn't have been but it nostalgia is a liar <laughs> And it, and it, it goes a ways, you know we love that, and you can appeal to that. You can get people to do tremendous things in search of it, of, of achieving and grasping what they remember. But um, ultimately you're never going to get it. You're never going to reclaim that in the same way. And the, the attempt to claim it and reclaim it in a, some way is living not in the present, which is the only time God's given us to live in the present.. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I know you've talked about that before, and maybe there's a warning against Buddhism there, too, but uh, but there's something true about that. God doesn't want us to be afraid of the future, and he doesn't want us to uh, look at the past as if, you know, really we ought to live there, but he's only given us to live in one point in time, and it's right now, and you have to do that by faith. It It is something that...
0: Uh, we, it's, we think that Jesus was maybe more Lord of the 1950s than he is of the <laughs> 2018, but that... When you stop to think about it, that of course that can't be true. Jesus is just as much ascended at the right hand of the Father now, as he was in whatever golden era we remember.
1: Right. Right. Uh, well, and it points to what has really changed uh, us. Our hearts have wandered. Uh, what? We've begun to not believe this.
0: And the and the devil attacks our hope too. There's a way and and maybe this is what is pushing us towards what I think you want to talk about because there's a way that we are set in this world to be people of hope. That's uh we could we can make this distinguish this distinction between hope and faith is hope is faith directed to the future, trust in God's promises that are are yet to come and, the, and we know that our Christian hope is solid. It's not like oh I hope that the that the Rockies make it to the World Series next year. That's a vain kind of hope, but but our Christian hope is a hope of, based on what God has promised to do. But the devil is always attacking our hope, and he and he and he wants us to live in this in this despair. Things are bad, and they're and they're getting worse. And and there's no other way. There's no other way for it to be. And the devil will do that to us individually, and then as a congregation. It seems like congregations they they are existing with no hope, so that the devil has has changed what we ought to hope in he's distorted the promises of god he's he's taught us to be disappointed in things that we shouldn't be disappointed in and so forth and all of this has to do with the realm of uh the spiritual warfare to maintain a christian hope
1: yeah let's start with hope and work backwards i love it um so we're talking both about humans dying as well as congregations quote dying uh, and there's a marvelous pastor, his name's John Sias, and he's the secretary of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod now. I'm privately kind of sad about that because I think he was a great pastor, but I know he's doing good work for our synod too. And who better to have doing that work than somebody who expects the resurrection of the dead? And that's the phrase he taught me. Uh, it's it's from the creed. We say this every Sunday. Uh, I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. True. Uh but the Latin word is great, the Latin word is et expecto I expect the resurrection of the dead. Right? <laughs> this is not that kind of like you said I hope it doesn't rain, even though the forecast said it's gonna rain, ninety percent chance. Um, no, I, I'm looking for this because I'm just waiting for this to happen, it's not a question of if, it's only a question of when I expect this, I, I can bank on this, um, I trust the promise that has told me this is gonna happen. and he used this phrase to encourage me as a pastor when things were rough to say what is the worst they can do to you right they could kill you i suppose that's pretty bad uh but we're the people who expect the resurrection of the dead right what in the world what what can they do if they if they can kill you and you are going to rise what is there to fear, right? What can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Think of all the passages in the scriptures that just dart to mind when you understand this. We're expecting the resurrection of the dead. So, back to our, our thing to discuss about Christian congregations being worried about declining, and, and how are we going to survive, and, and do we have a future? How about how about sharpening that more? That maybe the problem isn't that they're afraid of death, it's that they haven't embraced it yet, or they haven't recognized it, and actually I don't want them to embrace the death part, but what if we just took for a moment and said, yes, we're going to die. This congregation is not going to exist anymore, it's going to die. Um, But is it a Christian congregation? Because if it is, then don't we expect the resurrection of the dead don't we have the sure and certain hope of everlasting life isn't uh, and and then that maybe we could approach the death of a congregation if that be God's will in the same way that a Christian properly speaking approaches their own personal death
0: yeah there's a there's a way that that our hope there's there's a way that our hope for the resurrection makes us um, almost bulletproof in this life mm-hmm. they're, they're, you know st. Paul has that you know, to live as Christ to die is gain what what can man do to me if I my hope is not in this life now if if all that we have is this life if all, if our only hope is for the life that we have here then then we have to live a life of hoarding a life of bondage a life of uh, of, of fear because because someone can come and take away everything I've got if I, for example, have an, am an evolutionist or just your standard pagan or whatever, and I think that dead is dead, then you could actually come and take everything from me. But if my hope is in Christ and the resurrection, then there's nothing that you can do. So we become f- fearless and, and free to live and to die because our hope is not in ourselves. Our hope is in Christ. Ah, I'm getting the warning. Pastor Denzer, that we got a break coming up. So uh, let's do that. And I want to come back and keep pressing on this a little bit. If you're listening uh, to us, you're listening to the voices of Pastor Sean Denzer of like 17 churches in South Dakota. I'm Pastor Brad Wolfmuller with only one church, Hope Lutheran, in Aurora, Colorado. We're going to go to the break now. We'll be right back on the other side to talk about dying with dignity and with hope as individuals and as congregations. Stay tuned.
2: Did you know that your individual retirement account may make the best gift to KFUO? The IRS now allows individuals 70 and a half or older to transfer their required minimum distribution directly to charity and avoid paying the associated income tax. These gifts can provide regular long-term resources to KFUO. If you have questions about making an IRA gift to KFUO, call me, Mary, at 314-996-1518. We'll send a representative out to help answer your questions and help you establish a legacy of giving to your favorite radio station, Worldwide KFUO.
0: Three things make a believer Oratio, Meditatio, Tentatio. Prayer, Meditation, and Growth. Which is why every weekday morning from 7 to 8 a.m., we bring you Oratio, an hour of solace, contemplation, scripture, sacred music, and faith. Oratio. The dawn breaks with prayer every morning on Worldwide KFUO. The discovery in a cave of seven scrolls in jars had reached Bethlehem and Jerusalem. The great Isaiah scroll
2: discovered in cave 1 at Qumran was the largest of all the biblical scrolls found in 1947. And with all 66 chapters of the book of Isaiah, it is nearly complete.
1: Prior to that, the oldest existing Hebrew Bible text was the Masoretic text dating to the 10th and 11th centuries, which continues to be the foundation text for Jewish and Christian translators. The Dead Sea Scrolls, though, provided copies of biblical texts over a thousand years older. The Great Isaiah Scroll is preserved in the vaults at the Shrine of the Book in Jerusalem, and a facsimile is
0: usually on display for visitors. And a similar facsimile is on display at
1: Museum of the Bible. Engage with the Bible, this book of all books.
2: Brought to you by Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C.
0: Welcome back to Cross Defense. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. I got Pastor Denzer on there. We're talking about Christian hope and dying as individuals and in congregations. Paul says, How about this? He says, Since we have hope, we are very bold. That's Second Corinthians 3, verse 12. Or, or he says to, um, where is this? He writes to the Thessalonians, have the, as your helmet the hope of salvation so that, so that our hope is, uh, is this armor that makes us bold both to live and to die as individuals and as congregations. Pastor Denzer, take us from there.
1: Oh, Amen. I was trying not to go into the world of paresia, which is the Greek word for boldness. It's just an incredible word to study. So that's something else you guys can study sometime. Uh, and I think, actually, Pastor Fisk coming up is going to lead us in sharper iron through that Second Corinthians 3, 4, 5 section where Paul says, yeah, since, since we have this hope, we're very bold uh, with the Holy Spirit's boldness. Uh, so I won't try and steal our thunder for that. But yeah, preparing to die as a Christian. I mean, just imagine that. If we're going to die, or if we think it's on the horizon, let's own it let's just say yes it, it, more than that we are going to die it's going to happen um, so what are we going to do what are, uh, you, you can't stop this so let's die like a Christian, right? We don't die with dignity. There's no such thing. But we die as Christians. Um we have an example in Jesus. We have an example in the martyrs. And I think we have an example with uh our godly parents or grandparents uh, who've died in the faith. So here's a list of things I think happen when someone knows they're going to die and they're a Christian. What do they do? They grab their Bible, they get out the Bible, they start reading it all the time it 's right by their bedstand in the hospital or the nursing home room all the time. They get extra devotions. you know they grab books, people give them books, they certainly have their portals of prayer, maybe they 've got their around the word devotions from their bulletin. I mean they' just got this stuff, and they 're in it all the time, right? I mean, suddenly, maybe they 've gotten slack on studying god's Word, but they won 't be then. They'll start singing hymns with people. Who sings anymore? I wish we all did. Uh, But at that time, thankfully, they start singing them again, right? Um, They go back to the simple things, the basic things, the essential things. Like you like to say, uh, the simplicity of Christ, right? Especially if you're someone who has uh, maybe some memory issues, right? What do you do? You, You don't give them the whole Bible. You put little snippets of Bible verses all over their room, right? Jesus has you your sins are forgiven take heart right these kinds of things become their bread and butter and they're all over the place and then the most amazing things have happened around the deathbed I have seen old saints gather their whole family around uh... and they're the one talking they're not receiving comfort from others even though they're the one dying they're the ones comforting every single person in the room they call over each child they whisper something maybe faint maybe difficult to say maybe through a lot of pain uh, a word to them, an encouragement, something don't forget this son and and I guarantee you those people never forget that they tell you know they'll tell you, oh my gosh, I remember the last words my my dad said to me before he died, he told me, son. Some deep wisdom, right? Some important thing, right? I want to see you in heaven, I think is what a lot of parents say to their kids. Uh, and you confess, right? You give them something to remember. And, and the last thing, or probably the first thing, and but this is fine. The pastor gets to come in and be a part of this too, right? Call the pastor. Tell them to bring the Lord's Supper, right? Uh, tell them to come and preach the word to us all together. Tell tell them to pray with us, right? Tell them to lead us in our prayers. Now, here we go. This is exactly what a pastor ought to do in leading everybody else who, who shares the estate of Christian, uh, you know, to be the, the pastor there. And that's for an individual Christian. But just imagine if this was the way a congregation died. Do you want to respond or should I... No, it's.
0: I mean, I do, I do. I want to interject before we get to the application okay. to the congregation because we, there is a way that in our Christian tradition, from the Scriptures, that we talk about the blessed death or the blessed mm, yeah. death of the Christian, and I think we have lost that language altogether. And we, we need to be honest about it. And we, we, we need to, we, we need to recognize that this is what we're after: the blessed death. And we we all want to end. And the blessed death is not a death that's you know peaceful, like I'm laying there on a bed of roses being floated out in the river or something stupid. I mean, or, or whatever. It's not even a death that lacks pain or lacks sorrow. But a blessed death is a is a death surrounded by the Lord's word. A blessed death is the death of one who believes in Jesus. This is yes. this is what it means to have a blessed death And so when we pray for that and we and we strive for that and we realize that 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 all of us are going to die One day you and me are going to be in the grave waiting the resurrection if the Lord tarries and and that we're all headed Towards that and we want to be aware of it so that the Christian is not trying to avoid death But to have in fact a blessed death that is a death in the faith
1: Yes, I am I, Not sure what is a better? mission accomplished moment for a pastor than actually when he sees someone there and then gets to preach the funeral sermon and then gets to sing at the grave and and say alleluia christ is risen and we all walk away it, i remember there's a weird thing to do to say but that is that is actually our goal we want every single me- i want every single member of my parish to die a christian death
0: yeah. yeah i remember one time someone was i don't know some consultant kind of guy was came over and he said what's your vision for Hope Lutheran Church. And I said, Well, look, I'm not a false prophet, or a true prophet, in fact, so I don't have visions, but he said, Come on, and I said, All right, here's here's what I want. I want everybody to die and go to heaven. And he says, Well, how does that help me? <laughs> I can't help. <laughs> well, okay. Maybe that's the point. Okay, so because that's because we all want to have a blessed death, and this can happen even as a congregation, because while the Lord has promised us the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life eternal, he has not promised eternal earthly life to any of us or to any of our congregations. In fact, we, we, the Lord has not promised that Hope Lutheran Church will be here on the last day. The Church of Jesus that confesses the confesses law and gospel will be around on the last day. But Hope Lutheran Church doesn't have the promise that it's going to be here on the last day. So th- so as a congregation, I've got to be prepared to die. Huh?
1: Yeah. Neither does Great Ben. It's the oldest congregation, almost the founding congregation of North Dakota and our 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 churches in all of North Dakota uh, were the oldest in the district, but we don't have that promise either, right? Uh in fact if we're the oldest i suppose it might make sense if we died first hate to say it and i hope it doesn't happen <laughs> but uh but but just imagine that so what does a christian i mean who wants to die a blessed death right and who's able to and is as much as their physical conditions will allow them and of course that's what pastors and and family members help with right they dig into what matters i'd say they dig into the real promises right that they dig into the word and the holy sacraments they dig into the promise that Jesus is going to protect them for eternal life and talking to a dying or or near death person right e- even in the secular movies the war movies right people talk about the most important true things not stupid things not silly fun entertaining temporary things when death is on the line i think my vision not as a prophet but to try and see the death of an individual Christian in the level of a congregation who embraces this in hope of the resurrection is that they're going to do the exact same things that a dying Christian does. They're going to dig into the Word of God. They're going to make sure that what they sing is not a waste of time. They're going to have the simple, basic, essential things at the forefront, right, driving everything. They're going to confess the faith boldly, uh, and they're going to give it to the kids, they're going to give it to all the generations, with in mind that these are going to be their last words, so we're going to make sure everybody hears them clearly, so they'll remember them, if we do die and this is a small thing but I think it's also a big thing the sacrament right we think that's important when people are near death that if at all possible they're able to have the sacrament why is that not just unassumed we're going to do that all the time at our churches. That's, that's who we are, right? So when you get into survival mode, you make really stupid decisions, right? When you're just trying to hold on to what you have because you think it's going to get taken away, you sell the most important stuff and the best investments, and you, you know, whatever will make a buck quick, and, and you hang on to things that usually aren't that important, but they have some weird nostalgia value like we talked about before. So, I mean, I've even had discussions with people, I don't know if at my parish or not, but right, you know, communion is expensive If we had it too often, we'd have to buy a lot of wine and a lot of bread, and we'd go bankrupt, right? I think that's a great challenge. Let's do it. Let's have the Lord's Supper be so central to us that we actually go bankrupt because we bought too many wafers. Wouldn't that be fun? (laughs) I'd love to see that happen.
0: Yeah, yeah, in some ways you have to get a health care program that covers... You know that covers like expenses for communion as you're going down, so we can all share the cost. It's like a communion uh, insurance or something. <laughs> yeah, but, but you bring this, so death brings a point of clarity that it it, it sets our priorities. That uh, because because here's the things we should be doing all ar- all along, but we get so distracted in this life. But now, the, the the idea of almost dying it brings to our own minds the things that are most important
1: absolutely um god is not interested in our survival that's what the resurrection of the dead mean is if that's our promise then he's not interested in survival right that's what abraham saw right when isaac was he's the son of promise and god said kill him you know and he said well i guess he's going to raise him from the dead okay we'll go with that and he raised the knife and ready to do it um i mean that's the kind of attitude and I didn't think about that before, but that story is a great example of something else. I have a sneaking suspicion about and that is if our congregations were to do this to realize death is inevitable it's gonna happen let's let's be prepared for it let's go into it as christians let's you know throw everything else out let's gather on the word let's have the lord's supper out and let's sing the best hymns and let's make sure everybody has a good gospel i mean it has the truth to remember forever i remember that church i remember how they went down and i remember that gospel i have a sneaking suspicion that these congregations might not actually die. I mean, yeah. Yeah. imagine that. Uh, uh, imagine if a congregation was so feisty. Like you've probably known some people that were like this. They, we thought they should have gone a long time ago, and here they are because they still got to tell somebody else about this thing, right? I got to talk to my son. I got to tell him about Jesus Christ because there's no way I'm dying without knowing that he believes in Christ, right? Yeah. Just imagine how that might actually energize the congregation.
0: Hmm. No, no, I think you're right. I think you're <laughs> now. Now here's the danger, though. The danger is, and this can happen with individuals. And and especially with congregations, is it so? Okay, so say you go, and um, and you have cancer, and you go and you go through all the standard treatments, the radiation and the chemo and the whatever, and they don't work. So then what happens is you start going for the experimental treatments, uh, yeah, or they, yeah. or then you start going to the shaman and to the witch doctor kind of stuff, and you go into all the crazy sort of stuff just to try to find uh, something to stay alive. And the same thing happens with congregations. Well, we've tried all the traditional medicine. So now we've got to go for something new and outrageous. We, there's nothing to lose. Let's, we might as well do, do whatever, change whatever, switch whatever, just to stay alive. And, yes. and I think that's kind of emergency thinking is really what's driving a lot of the changes in the church. In fact, you, you hear that slogan, change or die. Can you imagine? <laughs> change or die. And we, say, we, we should hear that. Now that I'm thinking about it with you, Pastor Denzer, change or die, we should say, oh, of course, death. Of, co- of course, death would be much yeah, better yeah. than changing. Why would you ever change what the Lord has given us? What 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 possibly could you change? Change or die? Well, if that's easy. Die. <laughs> but 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 we apparently we don't hear it that way. We hear change or die, and we think, oh, I, then I better change. Uh,
1: whatever. Do have time for the quick cautionary tale of Esau?
0: Uh, yes, we're. I think we got about.
1: Five minutes. We can do it in less than that. So Esau, is the he's the bad brother, right? Jacob, if I loved Esau, if I hated, right? There's this great moment where Esau comes in from his hunting, and he's absolutely famished. He's starving, right? Like my little kid at lunch said, I'm starving! After she had her first, you know, she wanted her second helping. She was dying. Uh, fortunately, she survived. I'm glad to <laughs> That's say It's a it. close call. Oh, man. Uh, and and uh, Jacob... Deceitful heel as he is, he says, All right, sell me your birthright, right? Sell me sell me the promises, the inheritance, everything, right? What good is that birthright to me, Esau says, if I'm dead and I'm not able to collect on it, right? So and he and he famously this isn't I mean a parable now, this is like a fable. He sold his birthright for some some uh, lentil soup, which is not even the best kind of soup. There's no yeah, I don't know if there's any bacon in it, right? Yeesh. No, so, oh, that would have been illegal to have the bacon back then. Oh, that's right. Good point. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I don't want that. I mean, but that's it. We end up selling at the moment where you're right. It's 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 fight or die, and we choose, um, well, the third option. I don't know. We'll cut a deal or something. You give away everything that matters, and you still die, mm-hmm. right? I mean, what? this is the difference with our God. He says, you know, if I want you dead, don't worry, you'll die. Um, I'll, but if I want you alive, you're not going to have to buy it so cheaply from me like that. Um, and he does want us dead and alive. He's going to raise us to eternal life. He's going to do that finally at the last day. I, I mean, that's the way he's going to save his church, though, through death.
0: There's so much. Oh, Pastor Denzel, there's so much here because you're so. Well, you're right. When the congregation says, just like the individual. I mean, so, so okay. Let's say you want you're the devil, and you want Paul to stop preaching. So you say, "Hey, I'm going to kill you if you stop preaching." Well, uh, Paul, change or die. <laughs> and he says, well, uh, "To die is gain." And the same sort of thing has to be true to to be to be. You that you can't get to the heart of the Christian congregation if they're not afraid to die. So even before the death is happening, you have to be prepared to die that death. You have to know, hey, this congregation isn't going to be around forever. That's not why we're here to be around forever. We're here to preach the gospel so that we'll live forever in the resurrection. And if you have that confidence that we'll just be here today and gone tomorrow, then then what can the devil do to you? It's really fantastic. I'm getting the time limit warning, Pastor Danzer. We've got two minutes left. Wind us down. You gotta say the things that you haven't said yet.
1: Oh, I don't know if I can, but uh I love the widow at Zarephath, right? She has this attitude even before Elijah gets there. Look I'm gonna cook this last meal, I'm gonna eat it, and my son and I are gonna lay down in our beds and we're just gonna wait to die, right? And Elijah is bold enough to say, okay, sounds good, I'll join you. You gotta make me a cake first, and then we'll all die together, right? And instead, actually, as a promise for it. Actually, we won't die. The Lord's gonna multiply this. Um, That's the similar sort of trusting, not in the immediate promises. Well, God will just, you know, give me a chicken instead of bread. He's going to raise us from the dead. We have nothing to lose, Um, uh, and, and all we have to do is trust in the real promises, uh, and, and that emboldens us. It gives us that parousia, uh to, to, to love others, to, to preach the gospel now, and what, what's the worst going to happen to us? We die? Great. That's what we've been trying to do all along so we can rise in Christ forever.
0: Ah, Hebrews 2 tells us that the devil tries to hold us in bondage by the fear of death, but Christ <laughs> has set us free from that. He said he's not only set us as individuals free, he set our congregation free so that we have nothing to be afraid what do dear Christian, what do you have to be afraid of? What can the devil do to you, to your church, to whatever, to your family? Jesus has he bought you with a price. You belong to him and there, so there's nothing to fear. So we live in this hope. We have a, on our heads the, this hope of of salvation that is unassailable. It, it cannot be, the devil does not have the strength to undo what Christ has done for us and for our congregations, for our it's It is done and we live and we die in this hope. Pastor Denzer, thanks so much. You're welcome. Pastor Denzer is pastor of North Dakota. I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado, your host here on Cross Defense. Thanks for joining us for this conversation. Stick around. Uh, you can listen to the podcast, download all the episodes there to hear all past conversations, and uh, visit the website, wolfmuller.co, for all sorts of other stuff. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week for more Cross Defense.
1: Listening to Cross Defense, produced by Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Your support is vital for this program to continue. To learn about giving opportunities, call Mary at 314 996 1518, or you can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at KFUO.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Cross Defense on Worldwide KFUO.